Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Anxiety Warriors podcast. We are your hosts, Margo and Abby. We are friends, teachers, and storytellers, but above all, we're anxiety warriors on a mission to raise awareness and understanding about anxiety and mental health. You will hear honest, engaging, and joyful stories from us and many other anxiety warriors about living with anxiety. If you're seeking a space to laugh, connect, feel inspired and empowered, and learn valuable tips rooted in mindfulness and more, your warrior community is here for you. Join us as we navigate this journey of life together. Welcome back, Warrior Fam. Yay! We are so, so glad you're back with us this week. Yes! We have an incredible guest. Her name is Sammy Christensen. And this was just an incredible conversation. I mean, just start to finish, top to bottom, so much good stuff Mm -hmm. jam-packed into this incredible episode. We cannot wait for you all to hear it. Yeah. Before Abby recaps a little bit about our convo, let me let you all know a little bit about who Sammy is. Sammy Christensen is a middle school English teacher from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She first found her passion for working with kids after joining the efforts of the arts and education nonprofit Normal in Schools, which is now known as Mental Fitness Inc., to share with students and caregivers her story of recovery from an eating disorder. She is committed to eliminating the stigma against mental illness and to help young people realize their inherent worth and inner strength. All right. So uh, before we hear a little bit about this chat, there's just a quick content disclaimer that I want to give all of our warrior listeners. This conversation contains some discussions surrounding suicide, suicide attempts, suicidal ideation and thoughts, as well as eating disorders. All right. So Abby, share with us a little bit about this convo. Yeah. So this conversation was really, really inspiring. Um, Sammy just so wholeheartedly shared um, some of her story with us. It's so hard to cram in a whole life in a, in a podcast episode. Um, and I just, for so much of the conversation, had chills on my arms and was just like hanging on every word that she said because she tells such a beautiful story in her journey. Sammy begins by sharing how she struggled to be perfect, how she felt this need to be perfect in everything she did as a child, um, ultimately because she needed the approval from others. Uh, What was really interesting is that she said she put all the pressure on herself. She didn't have the pressure from teachers or from parents, but she put all of this pressure on her because deep down she didn't feel good enough. And so she tried to be perfect to prove to others that she was good enough. This manifested in 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 many ways, but one of the ways was um, it led her to have an eating disorder that she struggled with all through college. Um, and it wasn't until her parents encouraged her to seek treatment where she started to feel uh, a weight lifted off of her. And during um, treatment, she connected with another person where this person was sharing everything that Sammy had felt. And it was in this moment that she realized that she never had someone verbalize how they felt and it was the same as her. Um, and this, this instantly caused her to feel less alone and starting to feel like she was part of a community. Um, it was also uh, during this time that she was diagnosed with depression. And so she shares a lot about what it's like living with depression and how depression and anxiety um, are, are comorbid, but they also have um, 
different ways of manifesting in the mind-body behavior. Um, and then she shares um, a little bit about DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which is so, so fascinating and how many people could actually benefit from learning these tools and skills. Um, and just how she's able to apply the things that she's learned to be brave enough to ask people for help and ask people for support when she needs it. And just ultimately, I feel like the, the beautiful theme of her story is how anyone can make a difference and how just by showing up and by supporting someone, like we never know the impact that has on someone else. Um, Mm -hmm. she's just such a beautiful human being. And mm -hmm. I just feel really um, honored and grateful that, that she was on our podcast with us. Yeah. She just, you said it beautifully. She was inspiring. She was, we were on the edge of our seat. We yes. were crying. We were laughing. There was so much joy and pain and joy in the pain and pain in the joy. <laughs> Sounds weird to say it like that, but it, it, it really is one of the most powerful conversations that we've had on this show so far. And we cannot wait for you all to hear her. Here is the show. Welcome back, Warrior Family. Yay! We are so excited that we have an another, uh, another episode for all of you today with an mm -hmm. incredible guest. Her name is Sammy Christensen. Welcome, Sammy, to Anxiety Warriors podcast. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Yay. We're so <laughs> glad you joined us. We all kind of know each other, mm -hmm. right? It was an interesting, we, we worked together um, just like at a kids yoga training a few years back, and then you and Abby worked together. So I'm just really excited to um, connect with you in this way. So let's jump into your anxiety story. Sammy, what do you have for us? Um, well, first, as soon as you say that, I get anxiety. <laughs> yes. <laughs> name it. Name it to tame it. <laughs> we'll just throw that out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I guess my story starts when I was a little kid, um, but I wouldn't have been able to call it anxiety back then. Um, I struggled a lot when I was even as young as in elementary school to just always try to be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, I had huge perfectionistic tendencies and um, always had to be, and it wasn't just in school. I always had to, you know, get the best grades. I had to be acknowledged and recognized for those grades by my yeah. teachers and my parents. Um, my, I wanted to be sort of like fit in perfectly with my friends and my classmates. I had to look a certain way. I had to, you know, play my piano recital perfectly. And it was just something that kind of was always there. And I thought it was a little bit weird just because it was so hard, but it was also yeah. normal for me. And, um, so that just continued all through elementary school, middle school, high school. And I started in high school actually to kind of almost burn out from that. Mm -hmm. And it became procrastination because I couldn't even start something because it had to be perfect even from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, and I've actually talked to people who've had the same problem where they, you know, went from, you know, going home and starting their homework right away because they just needed as much time as possible to get it perfect where I would go home and 
end up starting my paper due the next day at like 1 a.m. That mm-hmm. do and bust out a six-page paper for AP English and you know, still need to get an A on it. And sometimes I did, <laughs> but <laughs> I guess that was practice. Um, but yeah, so I didn't know, I didn't know what this was back then and yeah. nobody did. And it wasn't until I actually developed a really severe uh, form of this mental illness that I really learned what it was. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I was actually studying abroad as an exchange student in Belgium. And this is where stuff really kind of shit hit the fan, so to speak. Um, cause I was really struggling with a lot of stuff. Oh, here comes my cat. Um, <laughs> um, so I was struggling with a lot of stuff being away from home and, and just the uncertainty and the, um, you know, not being nothing being familiar. And I developed, um, I gained a lot of weight there just from binge eating and mm. then decided to lose it by going on a diet, which was really not a diet. I was starving myself and I really mm. developed a really, really severe eating disorder that lasted all through college. So for six years, I was sort of alternating anorexia and bulimia, uh, mostly bulimia. And it was sort of like the most extreme version of um, the manifestation of anxiety that I had. Um, I don't know how I got through college with that. Um, I managed to graduate from Georgetown University. I managed to actually do pretty well Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, somehow got myself through, but, um, my parents knew about the eating disorder. No one else did. I didn't tell anyone else. I felt really, really alone. Um, I would have, you know, I had a lot of anxiety. I did have depression at the time, again, didn't know I did. And I, my parents sort of sat me down spring break of my senior year of college and said, you're not going to look for a job after college. You are going into treatment. It was, yeah, it was almost as if a weight was lifted off my shoulders. I almost burst into tears because it was like, I need this and I need permission to do this for myself. Um, I was very fortunate enough to be able to go to a residential treatment in Wisconsin for two months and actually really in fact recovered from my eating disorder, mm. which is really rare actually. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was diagnosed with depression there. Um, they gave me medication for the first time. Uh, I was 22 and I'd been struggling this, with this stuff since I was probably four. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was in a place where there were finally people like me willing to talk about it. Mm. And there was a girl there who I remember thinking like, oh my God, she's so much thinner than me. She's not going to understand my situation. I, you know, she's, she's going to not want to talk to me. She looks so sad. And I remember sitting out on one of the first nights I was there on the balcony at the, at the place we were at this treatment center. And, um, she was telling me her story and I almost burst into tears because it was like someone saying things that. I was so ashamed of that I was doing, you know, things that I was doing that were symptoms of my eating disorder and things that I would never have told anyone in a million years. And Sears was someone doing those same things, feeling those same things, articulating those feelings. And for the first time in my life, I was like, okay, I struggle with something pretty friggin' hard and I'm not alone. And maybe I can actually get better and be different. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. There is, 
I mean, first of all, it's like that power of connection. Like the first time that you're like able to be truly vulnerable with someone else. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in some ways, like hear your story in theirs. Am I kind of hearing that right? Like the things she shared, you totally related to. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's like, I have so many other questions too, but I just <laughs> want to hit that first. Like that just gave me so many chills because it can be so lonely on the journey and just filled with so much shame until you find out like, wow, I'm not alone in this. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you. I, I'm, I might circle back to that too. It's like, I have, you said so many things that I'm like, right. So, um, the, the first thing I just want to highlight is how I, I absolutely love how you started this by saying like, yeah, I'm feeling a little anxious. Right. (laughs) And then you go into how in childhood you had anxiety, but there was no name for it. Right. And so it's like, I just love that, that circle, because I think a lot of us, um, can relate to growing up feeling completely uncomfortable on the inside, but not having words for it. And now as grownups, we're like, woohoo, let me use my words, to identify how I'm feeling. Um, so I just, I just love that. Um, so you mentioned that in the treatment center, um, that they diagnosed you with depression. Yes. And before all of this, what, 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 what was the narrative you told yourself? Like when you had perfectionism and when you were controlling what you were eating or had an eating disorder, but before you had those labels, like what, what was the story? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I remember when I was, when I was younger, (laughs) my parents just saying to me, why are you spending four hours on your math homework? Like just chill out relax. doesn't have to be perfect. And I would just be like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Sure. Ma. But you know, it was like, it was like, I, I, the, I know the the pressures that kids face today are absolutely insane. Yeah. The pressure that I faced when I was in school was put on myself by myself. Mm. I know that there are parents who put so much pressure on their kids my parents didn't do that to me. It was all me. And I honestly don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why I had that. I think it comes from just the, um, the need for approval and reassurance that I've always had. And I still do kind of have it. It's something that I've worked on my whole life and it's way, way, way better now um, with years and years of therapy. Um, but definitely as a kid, I just always needed approval. And, um, you know, so for me, I, I guess it's just kind of how I lived. I just lived in a world where if I was, if I didn't do something to my standards, it was a failure. Mm. Um, if I didn't, um, you know, if I embarrassed, if I did something that I felt was embarrassing, I was worthless. Um, now I didn't know but that, you know, I didn't think failure. I didn't think worthless, but that's how I felt on the inside. There was some, I lived in sort of this bubble of shame where I remember even looking at my, I think it was the first thing was my ankles when I was six years old and comparing my ankles to my best friend's ankles and thinking, wow. why do hers look this way? Mine don't look that way. Mine must be wrong. Um, 
and I was six. And this isn't, this is more of like a body dysmorphia thing, not an eating disorder thing. So, um, but body dysmorphia certainly plays into why I developed an eating disorder. But um, so the narrative I think I was telling myself was just, I wasn't good enough the whole time. The whole time I was just like, something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough. And I have to prove to other people that I am. There was no way to prove to myself that I was. And so it was all external. Um, And then, and then even when I started, you know, starving myself, it was because I thought I was, you know, I had gained too much weight and I was, you know, quote unquote, disgusting and it was unacceptable and no one would like me. And, um, it was my way of like being also being in control. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I was going on a diet, you know, <laughs> like, you know, well, you know, a diet isn't, uh, as little as I was eating, you know, and I'm not going to say how much it was. Cause I know that can be, be triggering for some people, but it was not enough. And, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, I lost too much weight too fast. I was not well, um, And I really thought that when I came home from studying abroad, that I would just go back to normal. I figured I was fine and nope, it got worse because again, the pressures got worse to Mm -hmm. I came back for my senior year and I had to get into college and I had to take AP courses and I was extremely high achieving. Um, And again, I put that pressure all on myself. It was not my teachers. It was not my parents. In this case, it was all me. And so it was always just, I'm not good enough. I never will be. And there's nothing that can make it so unless people are telling me I'm the best, which is not possible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like, first of all, there's, I mean, there's so many layers to the story, but I, I just want to acknowledge that a, your parents, right. The fact that you were able to tell them or that they knew you had an eating disorder and that they sort of maybe could see that you weren't ready to take the reins in the situation. So they kind of like, as you said, they gave you the permission, right? They basically, and you kind of, I feel like you said something like, I breathed a sigh of relief or I felt relieved oh, about it. Lifted off. Right. The weight lifted yeah. off because it was like, because somebody, what it sounds like is that you were for your whole life, you've been seeking outside approval and outside permission, outside this tell me what I should be doing. Tell me what you need from me and I'll do it. You know, give me the assignment and don't worry, I'm going to do the assignment, but I'm also going to kill it. And I'm also going to do, you know, the extra credit and whatever. And so having your parents be that mirror for you and say, you know what, you graduated, you've made it through this time, but now it's time for you to like figure yourself out to find yourself. Right. And so I just want to applaud that because we, not everyone had the ability to talk to their family about what they were going through and, or be able to then go and get the treatment that they needed. So, and the fact that you were able to overcome your eating disorder in that time is incredible too. As you said, I know from um, talking to a lot of people who went to treatment for eating disorders over the course of my life, that it's not always a one-time process. People are going back to treatment sometimes after, um, going one or two times even. So you're incredibly strong and brave, um, to have made it through all that. And there was something else that you said that really resonated with me. And it's the fact that you're still working on some of this stuff. Like Abby and I are always saying, and and our guests have said, and, and we are always talking about our anxiety and all the things that we cope with as humans 
as like actively practicing. We're actively practicing being human every single day. We're actively practicing showing up. We're actively practicing, you know, doing what our best is, even if our best isn't what, you know, society, the world or our bosses or our parents or whoever think that it should be. So like, I just want to acknowledge those two things because they really stood out for me. Um, and I know I could resonate with some of that, like perfect. I know Abby too, some of that perfectionist behavior. And I, so that then it translate in, translates into the procrastination and why even get started because it's not going to be up to my standards, even though it hasn't <laughs> even started yet. Yeah. I was just like nodding along the whole time. So, so amazing. I mean, not amazing, I guess, but <laughs> yeah, I guess. It, yeah, it's amazing that we can all sort of like have that experience, even on, on some level, I think mm-hmm. a lot of warriors I'm sure can um, relate. All right. So thinking about this a little bit deeper, tell um, all of our listeners, some of the ways in which anxiety, and since you mentioned that you're also diagnosed with depression, how these two things kind of show up in your mind and your body and your behaviors. Yeah. I mean, I would say for me, um, anxiety when I was younger was much more just like kind of under the surface and constant. Um, now I would say, um, constant in the sense that like it could, it could go up and down in more of a wave. Um, but it didn't spike super high and it didn't disappear. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas now I would say like, there are days I don't feel anxious, but then it can get triggered and I can have like a massive anxiety attack. So it's very different for me as an adult. And maybe it's because of treatment I've been through. Cause since eating disorder treatment, I've been through several different types of treatment for just anxiety and depression, but not the eating disorder at all. Um, so the anxiety is interesting because it manifests differently depending on where I am in my depression. Mm. Um, Depression is something I struggle with a little bit more only because it tends to um, sneak up on me a little bit. Um, I'm always at risk of like things feeling, of feeling more deeply when things get tough. Um, there's just something that, um, my interpretations of events, my interpretations of the way of people, um, say things, I tend to take it almost like the wrong way. Um, not in the sense that I think someone's insulting me wrong way, but I think like, I tend to take the event as something that's more catastrophic than it is. And it will then make me feel, it'll throw me into this spiral of like more hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's taken me a really long time to understand that that's what happens and understand that it's not real. Um, I mean, it's, it's real, but the, (laughs) the, uh, like the feelings are real, but they're not accurate in this, in that sense. So I might, if I'm feeling depressed, like I might start, it might start slowly. Like I might start just feeling sad because that's not the same thing. So I might start feeling sad. I might start like maybe isolating and like canceling plans with people or, you know, spending my evenings just on the couch watching TV, you know, get catching up on my, you know, Law and Order SVU (laughs) or The Office or Parks and Rec, all of which I've seen multiple times. Um, 
And, and then, you know, maybe I start drinking alcohol more. Um, and then I might like just kind of escape a little bit and Mm -hmm. I might cry a little more often. Um, but if the depression starts to go into like a major depressive episode, that's where it kind of extends to like a couple of weeks. I isolate myself. I cry frequently. Um, I feel really hopeless. I, I tend to feel like in my body, I just feel sort of like drained. I have very low energy, even to do the simplest things like clean or shower or go grocery shopping or even make a meal that's beyond cereal. Um, and my life just sort of like seems like it's falling apart. And then attached to that is shame because I'm like, I'm in my thirties. I can't even freaking take a shower. I can't, you know, make myself some pasta. I can't go buy some fruit. Like what the hell is wrong with me? And I always till recently actually thought that that was rare. Um, and I've been reading a lot more about that. And it's like, nope, that's a pretty common symptom of depression. So it's, you know, you showering once a week when you're feeling really bad is not that uncommon. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, and so then when that is really strong, anything that triggers anxiety, my anxiety is going to be intense. It's going to be super intense because the feelings of hopelessness that I'm already having are going to trigger like a massive anxiety attack. Mm. So I'll start like, I'll feel like a massive pit in my stomach, my stomach or my chest will feel like it's being crushed. My throat will feel like it's closing. Mm. Um, I might, I'll breathe like more quickly. And if I can't get it in check, then I might start like feeling like I'm hyperventilating. Um, I feel like sometimes I can't move from where I'm sitting. Um, and then other times I'm just like constantly shaking. So it's, it's scary. Um, especially when it's like, like a traumatic experience and, you know, there's, I've heard people talk about big T trauma and little T trauma. So like Mm -hmm. big T trauma would be something like abuse Mm -hmm. and little T trauma would be something like something that causes intense sadness or, you know, uh, could be, would be different for every person. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's anxiety and depression now for me are something that I've, I come to expect. Yeah. And it's because I know through my diagnoses of my, from my psychiatrist who I've been seeing the same ones since I got out of my eating disorder program. Cause I really trust her. I've been seeing her since I'm t- I was 22 and the, the, um, diagnosis that diagnoses that she has me on are, are not has me on. This sounds like medication, but she, I've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. which are pretty common. And also often occur together for people like me, but, um, basically that's, so they often like commingle a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, so for me, it's a lot of stuff in my body. And a lot of times, if I don't know what I'm experiencing mentally, if I look at what my, or if I look into my body at my, at what I'm sensing and feeling, I can actually identify my emotions a little bit more. And that's something I've learned with practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so I just, I want to first just thank you for talking about depression. Um, 
we have had guests that have talked about how having like anxiety and ADHD um, or like anxiety and being like highly sensitive. um, And some people have lightly spoken about depression, but um, you know, just like anxiety, it's not spoken about enough (laughs) at all. Right. And, and even um, when I was in my early mid twenties, it's like 24. So, you know, mid, I guess um, I was diagnosed with ADHD, depression and anxiety. Um, but for me, it was more situational depression that came on because of my ADHD and my anxiety. And yeah. so for a while, I thought I got depression, like, like not, ha- like not got it myself. Like I understood it for a while. And so when I had other friends with depression, I, I would see them through my lens if, of my feelings of depression. And so I probably offered some really unhelpful advice and tips along the way, because again, for me, it was more situational. Um, and it wasn't until I had a family member that had very severe depression, right. Where they had the thing where they would barely shower, could barely brush their teeth and barely leave, you know, getting out of the seat, they would sit in their chair for like seven hours at a time, um, that I really started to understand more about about depression and the way that they shared it with me is like it's like moving through mud yeah everything that like for for me to do is like imagining like push through a wall of mud for everything when you're in a when they were in a depressive state and so I'm sharing all that just because I think that sometimes when we hear depression you know as a as as like a society we think we know what it is and I don't think we always really do unless we actually experience it. And so I really um, appreciate how you painted the picture um, because not only did you say like how it shows up for you, right? And how, you know, there can be bouts of it or it can go on for like three weeks, um, but you shared the shame that goes with it, which sounds like it just makes everything so much worse. Like you're already experiencing hopelessness. You're already experiencing like isolating and sadness. And then you have the shame of who you should be or what you should be doing because you're a grown up or whatever, like that narrative. Yeah. Is, right? <laughs> and right, the, like, I'm in my thirties thing, right? Yeah. Like, that really stood out to me too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it just, it, it makes me, um, just really sad for our society because I'm sure so many people experience the shame that goes along with whatever they're navigating, depression, ADHD, anxiety, and they put all this pressure on themselves because society says they should be a different way rather than getting them like the help that they need. And anyway, I just, that was my long-winded way of just saying thank you for really like wholeheartedly sharing (laughs) this yes. part of your life. Um, and then I guess, I guess my question is because I know we're going to talk about practices and, and coping and stuff. And you already just said how, because for, um, you know, such a long time, you've been going into treatment and you've been getting support and you can notice the sensations in your body and stuff. Um, my, my, my question is when you start to notice those sensations or you start to notice isolating, which sounds like, you know, logically, right. It was like, oh, you spoke to that other person in treatment for, for an eating disorder. And, and, and that helped, right. You felt connected. Right. But then even with that knowledge, um, when you start to feel depressed, you start to isolate rather than connect. Correct. Yes. 
And so, yeah. So when you were sharing about, um, like being able to notice the sensations and stuff, um, like what, what do you do now? Is anything different? Um, yeah, I would say that it has taken me probably until the last six months to really push myself past that isolating practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year has been, this past year has been one of the hardest of my life, actually, because of a lot of things that have happened. Um, And I finally uh, was able to reach out to people um, for help. And it wasn't just like telling them I'm having a hard time. It was like, hey, so-and-so friend, do you want to go like go for a walk or can you come over and sit with me? Or, you know, even just texting someone saying like, you know, I really feel like texting my ex-boyfriend. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, I feel like texting him. I know it's a bad idea. Can I text you instead what I'm going to say to him? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, text me, do it. And, and I am so fortunate to have one of the most amazing support systems that a person could ever ask for. Um, And I know not everyone has that. And that's what makes me feel really sad, but then I have to remember to feel grateful. Um, I mean, I, and it didn't happen overnight, you know, like my family has come a really long way in understanding mental health, um, because of, you know, the stuff that I've put them through. (laughs) Um, but they've been so willing to learn and so willing to be there. And, um, so, you know, my brothers, my sister-in-law, my parents are all super supportive and I feel like I can go to any of them. And, um, I have a really great group of friends now, um, in Milwaukee where I live who are just like, would come to me no matter what I could call them at three in the morning and they'd come sit with me at my house if I needed to. Um, and then I have friends all over the country who are like messaging me on Facebook. Like, if you need anything, I'm here. And I'm just like, what is this? (laughs) Like, (laughs) who are these people and why do they care so much about me? What's going on? Mm. And it's like this sudden realization of like, wait, I matter to people. Like I, Mm. people actually care about whether I live or die. Like it's kind of this, I know that sounds really kind of morbid, but when I'm in this, when I'm in the throes of a deep depression, like I, I start to wonder if I'm, if it matters, if I live or die. And, um, you know, the idea of just like wanting to escape the world just to escape the pain is so tempting. Um, and, and I know people, you know, think that, think, who don't understand suicide will say, well, it's just a cap out. It's, you know, you're a coward, you're giving up and like, you're, you're hurting other people. You're not thinking of anyone but yourself. And it's like, um, no, I'm thinking, yes, I'm thinking of myself. I'm thinking of how much pain I'm in and the fact that I don't think I can stand it and it's not going to get better. And this is the only way. And it's not a desire to be dead. It's a desire to not feel anymore to not feel pain because the pain feels so great and the pain feels so unbearable. And yes, I have felt this way many times. And now when I feel this way, I remember that like I have been reminded and I remind myself 
like, no, I know there are people who can help me get out of this feeling. And if I just text someone, if I just like type some little words and do a little phone, um, I don't even have to call, um, someone will answer. And there have been times where I have been like panicking in the middle of the night because of something that happened, uh, you know, over in the, this past fall, um, with my ex-boyfriend who was the cause of a lot of the issues I've had over the past year. Um, something happened with him and I called like three different people. They didn't answer. And finally on the fourth call, uh, my sister-in-law answered. Mm. Um, but normally I wouldn't have called four times, you know, and sorry, I know my voice sounds really raspy. It's cause I'm trying not to cry, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she answered. So I just, I kept going and it's like, it's taken a lot of practice because this is really hard for people to do yes. reaching out is so, 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 so hard. And, mm. um, it's one of those things that my therapist and I have worked on with me um, is just to like make a commitment to just try. And it's taken, you know, calling is one of the hardest things Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the night. No one's going to hear my text, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I know that if I sit with it myself, it, nothing good is going to come of that. Um, I, and, and yeah. it, and it also comes from actually like talking to people I trust in advance like, mm-hmm. if I need you, is it okay if I text you or like, Hey, I'm really struggling with X, Y, Z right now. I know that it might get bad on when I see this person or, you know, it could get bad next week. Cause I'm yeah. this going on. Like, is it okay if I call you? And they almost always say yes. And if they're like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, at this place, I might not see my phone. Like, can you try someone else? And that's kind of like this coping ahead idea of planning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was, I'm glad that you brought that part up again, because I was going to mention that because you had said it just a few moments ago too, and then just repeated it again. I just think it's so important to hammer that piece home. It's like you are asking ahead of time, who, who, who do I have in my wheelhouse right now? Who do I have in my basket that I can reach out to? And then it's, it's like a mutual understanding, right? Because then you're giving the person the space to say, you know what, I don't know if I'm able to support you. And I want to make sure you have that support from someone. And Mm -hmm. if I know ahead of time, right, I can then not feel the added pressure of like, well, what if I can't help Sammy in this moment? What if I'm not equipped for it? What if I'm not mentally ready? Who knows? Right. So like, what a gift you're giving others while also giving yourself the gift of finding out who who's in my basket this week, right? If I'm, if I know I'm going to be dealing with something over the next week or the next couple of months, or even over the next 24 hours, if I'm going to reach out right now, which is an incredibly brave thing to do, as you said, to be able to say who, you know, who is able to be there for me. And then most everyone is going to say, yes, please text me, call me. I'm here. And like nothing about, seriousness or trauma, but pretty recently I was worried about something that I was going to be doing. And I asked Abby, I was like, can I, I was like, I'm probably going to need to text you like a hundred times. Like, is that okay? She's yes. Text me a hundred times. And like, we laughed about it in the moment, but I felt instantly better. I felt like dropped into my body, just knowing like, okay, here's a person that I know I can reach out to in the moment as soon as I need them like tonight, you know? And so what a game changer that can be no matter what state you're in. Yeah. And, you know, just like, just to bounce off of that now, Margo, when there's even more challenging stuff, you already know you can text me and ask. Right. And so it's like this thing about, you know, starting small, Hey, (laughs) 
I'm stressed about this. If I notice I'm feeling stressed, can I text you so that next time I can maybe ask you to be more available? Because I mean, I think, I think we can all relate to when we're having a hard time. Um, sometimes it's the hardest moment to ask others for help. My narrative is I don't want to come off needy or like I should be able to handle this or whatever it is. And all of those walls prevent me from getting the actual help of connecting to someone else and knowing someone else is there. And so like the pushing through those, those walls and saying like, no, I can I text you? (laughs) Right. Is actually really huge. Like when you were sharing that, like, I still just have like chills up and down my arms because it sounds small, but it's so huge to ask for help. And yeah. And the idea, like you said, like, I just want to, something that you said, it's just, I've always been afraid of being a burden and it is something that I worry about is like me, Sammy is the one with anxiety and depression. She's going through a breakup. Well, not going through it anymore, but like she was going through a breakup and she needs help. It's just like, (laughs) here she goes needing help again. And it's like, that's my, that's my voice. Yes. Right. Your critic. It's like, no one else sees it that way. You know, they're like, Sammy, please, please text us. Like, we don't want to hear about you in the hospital. Like, please text us infinitely better. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, it's like, how do you, how do we follow up? This part of the conversation has been so powerful. Um, but I want to, before we get into more of the coping strategies that you like to go to, um, when you have in the moment needs arise in our call, you talked about your use of medication as a means of coping with your anxiety and depression in such a positive way. And we've talked to some folks that experience, a, you know, some or a good amount of shame or stigma surrounding using medication. So this stood out to me when we chatted. Um, we don't often hear about the positive impact that medication is having for a person. So just share with us uh, and our listeners a little bit about your experience with medication and, and you know, its positive impact on you. Sure. Um, so it started actually when I was in my treatment, residential treatment for my eating disorder, I noticed that there were some people I was with, um, women I was with who were already on like antidepressants, let's say. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And the psychiatrist that I saw there right away put me on, um, Prozac. I can't remember. I think fluoxetine is the generic. I know most of the names because I've tried a lot of them. (laughs) Um, So she put me on a low dose of that to start. And, um, you know, I was going through so much at the time. It's like, I don't know if it helped, but it probably did um, because I was doing really well in treatment and, you know, maybe the meds had something to do with it. So I kind of continued on. And then right out of treatment. So that was eight weeks. I started seeing my own, um, outpatient psychiatrist and she's like, okay, tell me your story. So I talked and she goes, um, well, my first observation, I, yes, you have depression, but whoa, do you have anxiety? And I was like, really? She goes, yep. I can tell, I could tell in the first five minutes. And I was like, Hmm. 
Okay. So either this lady is just like really knows what she's doing or she's just like Tarana, like pump me full of pills. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> no, but she's, I've been seeing this woman. I have an appointment with her in April. Like I'm, you know, going to be, I'm 37. So I've been seeing her 15 years and she is, um, I mean, she's amazing. I, I've been, you know, the thing about med- with psychiatric meds is that I, and I've seen this with my friends, I've seen this with family. It's like people get frustrated with the stigma. They think mm-hmm. that if they're on medication, that there's something wrong with them. They're screwed yeah. up or whatever. Um, there are side effects, but often those side effects disappear within two to four weeks and mm-hmm. people aren't willing to put up with that or they think they won't go away. Um, sometimes it's trial and error with not just with the medication themselves, but with the dosage, the actual, the actual type of antidepressant, because there's like, I think at least four or five different kinds of antidepressants, depending on what's going on in your brain. Um, and so like, yeah, I have tried, I have for antidepressants, I've tried a lot and I'm finally on one that really works for me. And I've been on it for a number of years and, um, you know, because there, I have a chemical imbalance. Yes. It is my brain. Like yes. if, it would be like, if someone has diabetes and you're like, well, I don't know, insulin, like that's a bandaid. You're just doing a bandaid solution. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want other people to know you're on it. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, you take insulin or like, Ooh, you take heart medication. Wow. Like, <laughs> like and it's, it's not funny at all, but like, I, just I, know. <laughs> I know. It, so it's like, yeah, there's something wrong with my brain. If I weren't on the meds that I'm on my, I mean, I don't even know where I'd be. I wouldn't be functioning. I would right. not function because it's, there's something biochemical happening. And, you know, I'm on other medication because I do have anxiety. I do have like, um, part of my diagnosis with my depression is a mood diet is a Mm -hmm. mood disorder. So I'm I have something working together with that. And I'm on like a number of them that work together at a certain dosage Mm -hmm. that works for me. And I have had like uh, my primary care doctor say, Oh, you're on a lot meds like every time I switch one it's like yeah okay I trust my psychiatrist that's what they're for yeah. or they'll say like do you have migraines do you have seizures and I'm like nope and they're like well that's what these medications are for and I was like no they're actually for this and they're actually for this and they're like oh it's like because some doctors do research on some things and others don't yes. so it's yeah. very interesting but like I I always, I'll tell my friends, like, don't be afraid to go on meds. And guess what? I'm going to be on mine probably for the rest of my life um, in some form. And that's great because I would love to be able to be myself and function. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do such a beautiful job of painting a full picture, you know, because you talk about one, how they impact you. And then you talk about too, how, how you need them because of your brain chemistry. Right. But then you also really talk about 
what it takes to find the right ones for you. Um, because that's another part that I don't think is, is talked about that much. And, and the, the patience <laughs> that is required <laughs> to find the thing that works for you and the, and the right dosage. And, you know, I know nowadays some people even get genetic tests done to see which medications will actually work better for them and not. Um, and so they have a little bit more clarity around that. I, I have a family member going through that right now, right? Trying to figure out because, you know, why do some medicines give them the rarest side effects? And, and yeah. And so um, I just really appreciate you putting that part because sometimes people might try meds and be like, well, didn't work for me. I'm not better. And like, now I'm done. Right. And there really is a process that if you're fortunate to have a doctor that you trust, right, you, you can go on the journey and realize like, oh, wow, these really do help. These really do shift. Yeah. Yeah. And I we should have a friend who doesn't trust her doctor and mm. she has struggled and she's actually going to see my psychiatrist now because, mm. you know, and it's, it is hard when that happens. And I get why that would turn people off, but yeah. also, and also it, you know, my antidepressant now is no longer covered by my insurance. Oh, no. So I have to figure that out now, but it's just like, it, it's, it, there's so many barriers and unfortunately, you know, I'm not going to get into our healthcare system. <laughs> <laughs> We've dabbled a there, little bit yeah. here and there over the, yeah. over and, the and many the, weeks. Guess, right. The only, the only other thing I would say about medication is like, it's not a one side, you know, it's not going to fix everything. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you can't just go on medication and be like, okay, I'm going to be cured from my depression. Like, no, 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 no. Therapy of some kind is, is going to be, in my opinion, is, yeah. is necessary because a medication is not going to is not going to fix it. Like I still need therapy. If I didn't have therapy and it was just on my meds, like it, it wouldn't really, you know, for me, yeah, you know, it's different for me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough. Right. It's like the baseline so that then you can start getting the tools and stuff to help apply to daily life. Right. I mean, that's how I hear what you just said. Totally correct me if I was wrong there, but it's no, like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They help and getting other things like therapy help when like encouraging you to reach out when you need help from friends, right? It's like you get that part from therapy, but the meds help with like just the baseline. Yeah. I just think we should be celebrating when a person finds what works for them, no matter what it is, right? No matter what avenue a person takes to sustain them, to help them function, to feel good in their humanness. We should just be celebrating everybody's like empowering choices, right? It's like, I'm, I'm glad you kind of, that's why this part of our conversation stood out so much because you were just like, yeah, I'm on meds. And there was like something the way that about the way you said it, where I was like, oh man, like that's the first time we, I've spoke, we've, I had spoken to a guest ahead of time. And then what, that we've spoken to here together on the podcast where not only were you, is the person still on meds, but they were like gusto sharing that with me. And I was like, you know, that's, that's a perspective we haven't really had. So thank you so much for sharing it. I think it's an important one for all the warriors to hear. Um, so you've shared so much about all the ways that you uh, cope with your anxiety and depression. So I want to actually just dive right into this part of our call that we had that was just so beyond fascinating. Mm -hmm. You shared with me about um, dialectical behavior therapy. Am I saying ah. that right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Dialectical behavior therapy and that it's worked wonders for you over the past little bit. Um, so just kind of explain to our listeners a little bit about this type of therapy and then its impact on you. 
Uh, sure. Yeah. I've been doing um, dialectical behavior therapy since 2014. Um, I went to, uh, I had two suicide attempts in the fall of 2014 and um, very fortunate to still be here. And following the second one, I was, uh, I found a residential treatment in California, um, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get out of Wisconsin. To win. <laughs> um, that aside, <laughs> so it was a lot of work, um, for two months in, um, Venice. Um, and it was like dialectical behavior therapy, like centered. And um, this program was actually created by a woman named Marsha Linehan and she created it actually for herself. She had um, borderline personality disorder and she created this treatment because cognitive behavioral therapy wasn't working for her. And so she kind of created this and then like ultimately fine tuned it. And now it is becoming more and more popular here. Um, and it's hard to get... I'm not going to go into it because I'm not an expert and I don't want to get in trouble, but it's hard to get like a clinic fully certified to, to do DBT therapy because there's a whole lot of components and steps and things. But the, um, the clinic that I got to do then when I was outpatient is one of two in Wisconsin that is certified. There's one in near Milwaukee and then there's one in Green Bay, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm. So I was fortunate to be able to get into the one in Milwaukee. Um, and it's basically classes. You take skills classes when you're trained in these skills, there's, um, the skills are divided up into four modules or four, four sections and you go through each module twice. And it, for this one, I, it's a, it was like one week, one night a week for a couple of hours. So I think the whole thing took like 18 months. Um, and, uh, it's in a group therapy session with teacher, with, you know, certified clinician, uh, therapists, uh, psychologist teachers teaching the classes. Um, and it, is the four modules are mindfulness, which is what you always start with. And then there's emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and interpersonal effectiveness. And in everyone's opinion who does this, um, we all think that everyone in the world should have to do DBT because it literally <laughs> is like skills for life. It's just, they're extra beneficial for people like us. <laughs> so, um, the, the biggest thing that I find is like for an everyday life, you know, thing, mindfulness is really important for me just to keep me grounded. It's basically like noticing what's around me, observing it non-judgmentally and describing it and like participating in life, not judging it, not judging myself, not judging others, doing what's effective, doing what makes sense to do in that moment. Um, emotion regulation is really what I do um, those skills that I use, um, when the anxiety and the depression is not too overwhelming, when I haven't reached what's called the skills breakdown point. So the skills breakdown point is when the, you know, you're so dysregulated, emotions are so high that it's almost impossible to just mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go outside and get a breath fresh air, deep breathing, go back in and then return to my work. Like at that point, <laughs> you're beyond your skills breakdown point if that's what you're doing. So yeah. 
uh, <laughs> emotion regulation is stuff like identifying your emotions and thinking about like, is this a, is this indicating a problem that I can solve or do I need to actually like act opposite to my emotion? And through that, almost like a fake it till you make it type thing. Can I change my emotion itself? So this is one that, um, it's called opposite to emotion action, which is often just called opposite action, um, that I do all the time. Uh, for example, with anxiety, a big one is, so are you identify that you're feeling anxiety? What's the natural urge for anxiety is to run away, yeah. right? To close in. To, it's not to approach the thing that you're feeling anxious about. So essentially what you do is you identify your feeling, you identify your action urge, and then you decide like, okay, is my anxiety really justified? Like, is the thing I'm anxious about really going to hurt me? Am I, is my life at risk? Is someone else's life at risk? And people with anxiety, probably not. So in that case, what do we need to do to act opposite to that? Well, we probably need to do what we're anxious about, what we're anxious over. Are we anxious to go grocery shopping? Then we should go grocery shopping. Are we anxious to um, call somebody that we haven't talked to in a long time? We should try to contact them. Maybe we don't just like pick up the phone. <laughs> Maybe we like you know, write out a text and like bounce it off, bounce the idea off someone else. And then we text them. You know what I mean? It's like you do the opposite in order to get to that point where your emotion actually really and truly does change. It's wow. kind of a miracle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the big things for a breakup, for example, whether you're the one breaking up or you're the one being broken up with is opposite action to love. So that means like deleting the person from your phone, unfollowing them and unfriending them on Facebook, like deleting all pictures of them, giving away any gifts they gave you mm. because anything that reminds you of that person is going to be painful. Yeah. And like, so that's something I went through in the fall. But even like, I can imagine how hard that is in the sense of like the pain of actually accepting, letting go, right? Like you're being asked to accept impermanence right there. And it's like yeah. non-attachment to all these things that were once super special, like. Yeah. For sure. Yes. And, and you actually touched on like the big thing of DBT, which is radical acceptance, which oh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you, have you heard of Tara Brock? Yes. Yeah. So her big thing is radical acceptance. Yes. And I'm pretty sure Marsha like stole it from her, but, um, <laughs> or, you know, whatever they all, you heard it here first people. No, I mean, I'm sure they all steal from It's fine. Um, so. <laughs> Everyone steals everything in the wellness world. It's I like, mean, yeah. 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 Basic human stuff. Basic human coping amazingness. Um, but yeah, yeah, radical acceptance is like the core of DBT, accepting reality, not rejecting it, you know, mm. that that's the only way to move forward. So, you know, it's, it's actually, that's in the distress tolerance module. I think it, I don't know, like if I'm, if I'm trying to tolerate distress, yeah, sometimes I can work on acceptance, but sometimes I need to do something like put an ice pack over my face. If I'm starting to have a panic attack, yeah. I might need to like start to really, really like regulated paced breathing. Maybe I need to, um, distract myself by like turning on my TV and watching, you know, somebody doing like a stand-up show because I can't even think about anything else. I have to focus in on something that's like totally opposite. Um, 
you know, and so like other distress tolerance skills would be like distracting yourself, doing like a self-soothe thing. So, you know, if you're into like candles and, you know, essential oils and things, one thing that I started doing, which also got me to start showering again when I was depressed, and this was not my idea. This was a girl in my group uh, who suggested this was like taking a shower in the dark with your lights off with just just candles in your bathroom and like spa music on your Spotify and like using like essential oils in your shower. And it's amazing. I do that. I love taking showers in the dark. It's such a, I I never knew that that was like a potentially good thing for me. I just knew yeah. that. I just know that I like doing it. So sometimes I do. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm, that. I'm trying that now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I've not done dark showers. You heard it here now, people. <laughs> We've had people talk about freezing cold showers, <laughs> yeah. doing dark shower. It's, it's all, I'll go it's dark all... before I go cold. Same, yeah. same. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. So it sounds, it sounds so multifaceted, so full. I love that you have to go through the modules twice because I just feel like I know from my own brain, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be able to process it all one time through. I'd be like lost and wait a second, which, which module is that behavior from? And so I love that you have to kind of like sit with it more than once. Um, this in a group in like a X amount of weeks program, like sounds so much better. Like, I guess my question is like, do, do you think it's as effective when you just see it, like do it with a therapist one-on-one or do you think it's more effective in a, in a group setting with like a weekly, you know, doing it with others? I mean, I love group therapy. Uh, and I'm a type of person who is very comfortable talking about my feelings and my struggles. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is. Um, I've been in some really great group therapy uh, programs where people are awesome and want to get better and do share and eventually do open up more. I've also been in some where, where people are very willful and like just sit there and I'm the only one who wants to share. Um, so it's really about like, I, I love group therapy. The only thing is like, it's a lot of times it's about insurance. A lot of times it's about mm-hmm where is it and the type of, you know, place that you're going. Um, I would say with, with DBT. Yeah. If you can get into like a, one of those programs where it's actually like a certified DBT program, Mm -hmm. going to be hands down the best. Um, but because DBT is spreading more, I think, um, they're still going to have, um, the skills to teach you. Like there's still, going to teach you stuff from the big manual, the big mm-hmm. spiral stuff with all of the skills. There's, they're, they're still going to offer you stuff that's going to be valuable. Um, and CBT, it, the um, cognitive behavioral therapy is still good for people with anxiety because it addresses a lot of the like thought processes that we tend to get stuck in, mm-hmm. um, like rumination and, um, you know, distorted, uh, thought distortions and cognitive distortions and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, group therapy, I isn't for everyone. I do love it. A lot of times, um, you know, if you can find one in the evening, I know people like work different hours and things like that. A lot of them are during the day. So mm-hmm. it kind of depends, but yeah. 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 Wow. 
so much. It's, it sounds amazing. It really does. When you said yeah. before, like everyone in the world should be doing this. It's like, I, I want to sign up for this. This sounds yes. awesome. <laughs> I'm going to Google this right after. Right. Any, any groups uh, around right. here? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can go back in time and offer yourself a bit of advice, a younger Sammy. What would you say to her? Oh, so there's a lot, <laughs> depending on what age I am. I would say, um, it's interesting that you asked that because as a teacher, I try to say those things to my students that I would have mm. wanted to hear. Mm. Um, especially to, I can tell the kids who are a lot like I was yep. and the kids who are different, but, um, and could still benefit from hearing certain things. So, yeah. um, biggest thing that I tell students is you are enough. Mm -hmm. And that means nothing to them initially. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't meant anything to me at the time. So I always have to elaborate. And I would say, I would say, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you, whether you put it on yourself or your parents are putting it on you. And at the end of the day, none of that matters mm. because you are worthy just because you're a human being and every human being deserves love and every human being is cared about by someone even if that person didn't isn't in your life right now yeah. mm. and even if you feel like life isn't worth living at the moment like you will find a way that you will make a difference someday. Mm. Full body chills. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, Sammy knows twinkle. Sammy. Yeah, I do. <laughs> All the sparkles. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh. So good. It's so, yeah. it's such a valuable thing to, it's the kind of thing that all of us needed to hear more when we were kids, but, and that I love that you're offering that to your students and hopefully even for anyone out there that's a parent or a teacher or for yourself, just like encouraging yourself or those kids in your life to look at themselves in the eye and say, I, you, I am enough. I am enough. Looking at themselves, you are enough. And, and I love that you elaborate on that for them because they do yeah. need that too. Right. <laughs> I needed it too, Sammy. I needed you to elaborate just now. And I love that you did. Right. Cause like you are enough. It's, it gets thrown around a lot too. Right. Mm -hmm. It's sort of just like become this thing that we, Teach, our, teach the kids to say that we say to ourselves or we see it on social media or whatever. And it's great, but at the same time, what does that mean, yeah. right? And I love that it, it can be for, not just for children who are learning how everything works in the world, but for grownups too, especially those of us that weren't given those explicit words as kids, yeah. even if we had incredibly loving families and parents and community and teachers and nothing but love and support hearing. I wasn't told you're enough. Those words weren't given to me in that way. And I feel like it's such a, it can be such a powerful and impactful statement. If we remind ourselves and the children of the people in our lives, why they are enough. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. I love, I love the piece at the end about, and you can make a difference, right? Because mm. like, because it, I feel like if I ever heard that as a kid, I thought it meant like I had to save the whales, right? And, <laughs> but but it literally means you can make a difference by telling someone like, yes, you can text me. I don't care what time it is. And that mm. it makes a huge difference. And that just shows like 
we all matter. We're all enough and we can make differences in other people's lives. So beautiful. Um, all right. Final question before we get into some fun, some lightning round questions. What does being an anxiety warrior mean to you? Oh, I mean, I guess for me, it's just the fact that, um, there's a twofold, I guess for myself, it's just how resilient I feel like I am. Like, I just feel like I've come back from a lot of, um, times where I've been down and I've always come back and with not by myself, I've had help. And it's important to remember for myself. And I want to remind other people, like no one does this shit alone. And that's how it's supposed to be. Um, I have come back a lot and um, asking for help makes me a warrior too. Um, And I've had to start over yet again. I'm in another apartment. I'm, you know, in another job, single again, like it's... But I'm here and I'm still here and I'm still fighting for myself and my mental health and every, my life. So, um, and then the other thing is just like, I am so passionate about helping young people to understand that they matter and that their mental health matters and that they um, are capable of hard things that they can do what they think they can't, um, that it's okay to ask for help, that their feelings are valid and real, um, that adults care about them, that their friends care about them. And I have done this in every job that I've ever had, you know, as a teacher, I've worked at a couple different schools. I'm actually working as a building substitute right now, but just cause I don't have my own classroom doesn't mean I approach the, I don't approach the kids who have their heads down and ask them how they're doing. And mm-hmm. there's something in them that can sense that they all just going to like spill their guts to me <laughs> and they do. And it's just like, I, I just sit there and I listen and it's like kids today, like they don't, they feel like no one cares. They mm-hmm. feel like they feel like unless they're saving the whales, you know, <laughs> that that's what's expected of kids. Yes. Now. Like mm. I'm going to have school shootings forever and I'm going to do this and save the environment. It's like, no, all you have to do is try. Like all you have to do is just keep going and you'll be okay. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Those kids are so lucky to have you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for, I mean, there's, there's just been so much throughout this conversation. It's like, I don't know how we're going to recap this bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) So many juicy nuggets. (laughs) So much, so much for us to, to chew on and and continue to process. Um, all right, but now it's time for some fun. Are you ready for lightning round? (laughs) (laughs) need some water. That's right. Take a pause, take a breath. You do not need to answer immediately. You can pause, collect your thoughts and then respond. Um, Abby and I are just going to go back and forth and we're going to ask you some playful, get to know Sammy type questions. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Abby, I'm going to go first. Oh, do it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So you live in Wisconsin. Yes. 
I do. Okay. So lots of cheese over there. And I know <laughs> you love cheese. If you were a cheese, which <laughs> one would you be and why? Oh, there's so many to choose from. Yeah. Okay. I would be a smoked Gouda. Ooh. Because, yes. because Gouda is awesome. And a lot of people like Gouda. Like they get it on burgers. They might get it for mm-hmm. their friends. But then you see smoked Gouda and you're like, hmm, that looks kind of funky. It's a weird shape. I bet it's kind of quirky. I'm going to get it. And then you take a bite and you're like, holy fuck, this is amazing. Yes. So good. Agreed. And, so. and that's what happens when you meet me. You're like, holy fuck, this girl's awesome. We got yes. some smoked Gouda up in the house. <laughs> <laughs> you are looking like some smoked Gouda tonight, honey. <laughs> okay. So. If I remember correctly, um, you did some acting. Yes. Did some singing. Yes. Okay. So if you could be in any Broadway musical ever and any character, what Broadway show would it be? Um, And then sing us one line from the show that you would be in. So I'll tell you what my dream role was when I was younger. Yes. So my dream role when I all growing up was Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. And I got to play it when I was a senior at my high school. And the best part about it was the voice because, you know, she has a very like New York accent. Do you know what character I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. So I'll sing you part of her song very embarrassing but I used to sing it all over my house so really what's the difference that's right so do okay okay when they get on the train for Niagara and she can hear church bells chime the compartment is air conditioned and the mood's sublime then they get off at Saratoga for the 14th time a python might develop a cough. That was incredible. Yes. Yes. That was like, uh, my mind is blown right now. She has an amazing voice. With the accents and everything. Yes. Oh my gosh. So good. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite 90s movie? And then I want you to quote a line from it. Mm. Oh, favorite is tough. Okay. Um, or just how yeah, about favorites just are always tough. Any, give me a nineties movie that you, that first one that comes into your mind and then give me a quote. Um, how about men, Robin Hood, men in tights? Yes. Yes. (laughs) More singing. (gasps) (laughs) We're men. We're men in tights. (laughs) I I gotta think of an appropriate line. Um, maybe not. Uh, let's see the quote that I am thinking. The one that first came to my mind was, um, the the a blinking one can i say that? is that okay yeah okay so if you're okay saying it it's okay saying yeah. all right i don't care i mean it's not bad okay so a blinking did you say a blinking don't you say a blinking i said a blinking hold on yes 
so good. Oh my god, I need to watch this movie now. I know. It's been a while. I own oh, it. Beautiful. Nailed it. Oh, okay. See now, how am I gonna follow up with this? Well, let's let's stay in the 90s for a minute. And which okay, which 90s actors, actresses were on your wall? I'm assuming you probably own some Teen B, right? Yes. Yeah. It wasn't on my wall, but you know those desks where you like lift them up in elementary school and you like yes. stuff on the inside? Yeah. So he was underneath, like underneath the top of the desk. Mm-hmm. And that, that, of course, was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yes. Of course. Yes. He and I were going to get married his birthday, September 8th. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yep. Okay. Final yep. question from me. My, my final question. Okay. What is your biggest grammar pet peeve? <laughs> God, there are so many. You have oh. to, you have to give me your biggest one. My biggest one. Okay. Okay. Mm. Spoken or written. Mm, spoken. Um, okay. So I would say, when someone uses the word myself as the subject of a sentence. Mm. So like Johnny and myself are going Ooh. to the bar. Oh. Like, yeah. yeah, go to the bar by yourself. My <laughs> All right. My last one. The okay. last one. The last one. You mentioned how you very much enjoy The Office, Parks and Rec. So if you had to live in one of those worlds and be one of those characters, which world, which character? Hmm. I think I would choose the office over Parks and Rec because Parks and Rec seems like a lot of work. (laughs) Leslie Nope is a little intense. (laughs) I don't think I could... Yeah, I don't think I can remember her. Um, she's great, but you know. Um, okay, so I guess I picked the office. I want to be Nellie. Oh yeah, <laughs> that took me a minute. So good. Yes. Nellie just like does whatever she wants. Yes. Hilarious. Yes. They hate her, but then they love her. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was a dark horse character. Yeah. Amazing. Oh Woo! my gosh. You, you did it. it through. We made it through lightning round. We all came out on skate. We did amazing. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for being with us. Before so much we, fun. Before we let you go, we'd love to hear if you have a win of the week, big or small, something that you went through this week that you accomplished that happened to you that felt like a win. Um, I would say, so I'm subbing this week for an eighth grade English teacher who is home because her kids have COVID. And um, I just feel like really in my element in this class, like I, t- I normally an English teacher. Um, so it's nice to be, I love subbing for anything, but it's nice to be subbing in English. And I feel like um, the kids are comfortable with me there. Like I've had kids actually ask me for help and mm. um ask me for help with their stuff that they're working on in English. Um, I've even had kids ask me for help in math, (laughs) which I just kind of laugh at. (laughs) 
And I'm like, I could try. (laughs) Sure. I can look at linear functions. Why not? Um, But it's just, I just feel I had such a hard semester last semester with teaching. I never felt like connected Mm -hmm. to where I was and right. This is happening like right away. And I'm not even a classroom teacher. I'm a sub and it's Mm. really good. Um, the district I'm in is amazing and I feel really honored to be there. And I just feel like I get to be with kids again and staff is great. And I just feel, I feel appreciated and appreciative. Oh, that's a huge win. Yeah. Beautiful win. All right. Sammy, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It's been such a pleasure and an honor and a joy and just so inspiring to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate appreciate you guys having me. It's an honor to be asked to be here. And I'm, I think what you are doing is really important. And I hope that people listening to you and to your guests are, are being empowered themselves. Hmm. Thank you. Yes, we hope for that too. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Woo. Wow. What an amazing re-listen. This was just like the, the, the roller coaster of all conversations. Yes. And, and with a very funny lightning round that gave me so much joy. (laughs) Honestly. And after one of the heavier conversations we've had, honestly, but, but, but filled with so much power and passion and inspiration and so much impact. And I'm so glad we had it, but this was definitely the first conversation where not only was I moved to tears, but like I had to actively suppress them. And I know that like, maybe we shouldn't be suppressing our tears. I'm an, I'm an overly, maybe not overly, I shouldn't say that I'm an emotional person, cancer baby over here, just water sign. The water works all the time, but when we're trying to hold space for people, right. When we're trying to be good listeners as podcast hosts, I know for me, I'm like, this isn't a good time to cry, Margo. Yeah. (laughs) But there was, there were several moments while Sammy was speaking in such an impassioned way that I was moved to tears. Yeah. Yeah. She just, her story is as one that I think that is, well, very, very unique to her. But as we've said with many of our guests, they share so many things, right? Yeah. There's always like this enmeshed thing. And I think for me, learning about how anxiety and depression commingle in her life was really, really mm-hmm. interesting. Cause I think that for a few of the guests that we've had um, that have mentioned having a little bit of both or some form of both anxiety and depression, it's kind of just been lightly touched upon and we haven't really like dove deep into it. So it was very, very, very um, insightful for me to hear how they kind of commingle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all besties, right? (laughs) Depression, anxiety, ADHD. Um, But I think, I think, you know, for, for many of us, like we identify more with one or the other, like um, yes. you know, like, or maybe it's not even identified, but our brain chemistry goes to one or the other. And, and so right. I just really appreciate her, um, sharing more about the, the side of depression because, um, I'm, I'm still learning and I'm still learning how to be, you know, supportive with people that experience depression and, um, yeah. Yeah. One of my big takeaways from this conversation was, and it's come up so many times for you and me, for many of our guests was the, what she had so, sort of said early on, which was when she 
finally felt less alone in her struggle Mm -hmm. after talking to that person on that balcony at the treatment center. And it was like, that was that aha moment that we all have sometimes where it's like, oh, I'm not the only person going through something. I'm not the only person suffering or struggling and having that other person kind of mirror for her, all the things and thoughts and stuff that she was coping with inside be verbalized out loud. And and I'm sure God, that had to be so powerful for her. And it sounded like it, I mean, it changed everything, right? She had made it to this treatment center and still wasn't sure what to make of it and her situation. And then she had this person say all the things she'd been thinking on the inside and just the value of finding community and then trying to make sure you're utilizing that community, your community to the best, to the best that you can. Yeah. And, you know, that, that moment on the balcony just so beautifully ties into, um, you know, what it means to be an anxiety warrior for her, which is not only for herself, but, but all the interaction she has with children of letting them know that they matter, that they're enough Mm -hmm. and that they can make a difference. And that one person on the balcony being honest and vulnerable enough with their story impacted Sammy. It made a difference in her life. And, and so I, 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 I just feel like, again, like what she said is like, we never know the impacts that we make. And so maybe we can all practice saying it more often. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one of the, one of the takeaways for me, um, was just how, how beautifully she shared, um, about, um, being like reaching out because, I know when I'm having a hard time, the last thing I really want to do is tell other people I'm having a hard time and please help me. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes that's because I don't know what kind of help I want. Or, I mean, she used just the, the perfect word. It's like, I don't want to feel like a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really appreciated how she painted that picture you know, and then also just how you can push through that wall. You can actually figure out who you can reach out to ahead of time. Hey, when I'm having a hard time, can I call you whenever? Can I text? Do I have permission to do that so that you at least don't feel like a burden? You know, that these people are are here to support you. They gave you the green light. Yeah. Right. They gave, they consented. They said, yes, call me whenever. And, and just what a shift that that can make when you're having a hard time, you already know the people you can reach out to because, you know, it's, it's common in depression and in anxiety to isolate and, and also isolation just makes things worse. Right. And so just having that, that knowledge, okay, it's okay. I'm not a burden. I can reach out to these people is, is, is so powerful. And then the act of actually doing it. Right. I just yes. appreciated that. Yeah. The act of doing it, right. Yeah. Not just like knowing that you can, but having that, the bravery inside to take the next step, which yeah. is, and she, I think she had mentioned at one point too, like, you may not make the phone call, but maybe you're going to take a baby step. Maybe you're going to text first or send a message or even just, I think at one point she said, write it out even yeah. before you may maybe even create the text or the message or leave the voicemail or whatever. Um, I think so much of our big feelings, our anxiety, our, our depression, whatever it is, can, pre- it feels like it's preventing us from seeking, right? And what we need is to be seeking. What we need sometimes is not to go further deeper into ourselves, but we need to sort of reach out. And that is an act of bravery to, yeah. to, to take that step. And, yeah. um, and I love that the permission came into it too. I'm glad you brought that back up too. Cause that really stuck out to me in our conversation. Um, 
And I just, my final takeaway is just how boldly and bravely and with such gusto, Sammy embraces all the ways that she has learned to cope with her anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. including taking medication, which we know there's so much stigma and shame unnecessarily surrounding these types of coping um, tools. But, you know, she was just kind of like, yeah, I'm on meds and this is what they are. And she was advocating for herself to other doctors who were like, why that's a lot of meds or Mm -hmm. kind of judging her almost. And what bravery it takes to stand up to authority figures in that way and be like, well, no, actually you need to do a little bit more reading, Mr. or Mrs. Mm-hmm. Doctor, Dr. Lady, Dr. Man, you need to realize that this medication is for also these things, yeah. right? And this is the trial and error that works best for me and trying to find the correct dosage of different things and try out. And you maybe have to move through the process of it not feeling so great for a couple of weeks before you get to the the healing or the helping. Um, and look, and maybe it doesn't work for you. Right. But the, the big takeaway is just that Sammy and all of our guests have, have shared so importantly that there are, there isn't just one path to getting help and that there, all of them can be important and empowering. Right. Right. And I, 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 I really in that valued how she talked, you know, just all of the different, um, considerations, uh, when it comes to getting meds, like, first of all, insurance, right? Like the, the barriers with that, and then also the stigma and then also the shame, but like the reality is, is it's brain chemistry. (laughs) And I loved how she compared it to, you know, if someone had diabetes or a heart condition, um, but also like the trial and error process, because, it's like, okay, if you finally decide to take meds, it doesn't mean that they're going to work. You have to find someone you trust and you have to be patient with the process. Um, when you were just saying that, um, when you reminded me about how the doctor was like, wait, do you know this med is for this? It's like, how many, how many doctors are like, wait, you're on Viagra. Wait, you know, that's for the heart, right? It's like, "Mm, it was originally a heart med and they like, come on, like, why don't they get that? I'm sure they don't like, Right. Like that. when you said that, I was like, yeah, does anyone say that about Viagra? No. no. So absolutely anyway. not. No. Um, you know, my, my final takeaway is like, I've heard about uh, DBT, right? When, when I went to therapy, I had CBT. It was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and in recent years, I think in the last like five years or something, I've heard about DBT and I heard the way I heard about it was it's like CBT with mindfulness. And I was like, Ooh, sounds good. Right. And <laughs> yeah. And I really appreciated how she broke it down. I took so many notes um, about it. And, and um, I mean, one, I totally agree just based on like mindfulness, emotional regulation, like distress tolerance, like these are skills that everybody could learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just like, what a beautiful way to put it um, in a a group setting, right? So people can like show up for each other and listen to each other and hear each other's stories. And, and, and in some ways it might hold people more accountable. And so, um, yeah, I just really, I don't know what my takeaway is, except for that. Like, I'm curious to learn more now because it's just totally fascinates me and interests me. Oh my gosh. So when we had this call, when we had this part of the conversation in our call, I literally said, Abby's going to freak out when you explain. <laughs> I did. I said, she's going to be so excited when you, when you fully, cause she explains it in such a concrete and simplified, beautiful way, <laughs> because it, this is like the stuff that 
what, what we're always trying to do, right. It sounds like it's encompassed in this amazing program. Um, Mm -hmm. I am definitely going to be looking into it myself too. And I just, I love too, that it sounded like the program had, um, or at least for her, she found a way for it making different parts of the modules work for whether she was experiencing anxiety Mm -hmm. versus depression. And it was like, she had given me this one great example in our call. And it was like, if my anxiety is minor, I'll use mindfulness or emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. I can ID the emotion and move from there. Like maybe I need a breathing practice or a meditation or an ice pack for my face or my neck, something that's grounding. And then for depression, she said that like building mastery was really, is really powerful for her doing small things, one thing at a time to help her feel more accomplished. So it's like, if she doesn't have the energy to, you know, clean every dish in the sink, maybe she can clean five dishes mm-hmm. and that'll help mm-hmm. activate something else inside of her brain, which maybe then she'll be able to get herself in. If she can't get herself in the shower, she can do, you know, a quick face wash or a face mask or something that's like a step towards that. Right. So I just, it sounds like it just offers so much life skill. Yes. Yes. Amazing. And thank you oh. for knowing me and what I like to nerd out on. <laughs> I knew you'd love to. I, I assumed you already knew what it was, but that means <laughs> all the details. Yes. And since Sammy puts it in such a, <laughs> such a concise, perfect way, I'm so glad we got to learn more about it. Um, yeah, this was just such an important conversation. We are so thankful to Sammy for being a guest with us. We're mm-hmm. thankful to all of you warriors for being here with us this week and every week. If you would like to get in touch for any reason, you can find us on Instagram. We're at Anxiety Warriors Podcast, or you can shoot us an email at anxietywarriorspodcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up with topic ideas. You can reach out if you're interested in being a guest on our show. Um, you have just thoughts on the pod, anything at all. We'd love to lo- love to hear from you. And if you have two seconds, which we know you do, smash that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If that's where you listen, leave us a short or lengthy review. We love them all. If you're listening on Spotify, please tap that five-star rating um, so we can continue to grow our warrior fam. Mm-hmm. And warriors, we have some incredible new merch up in the Threadless shop Yep, that we are just so flipping excited about. Yep. We love, we loved our vintage nineties inspired anxiety warriors, um, designs, but these designs are, I think so much more specific to our pod. Yep. Right. Like obviously anxiety warriors <laughs> is specific to our pod, but like, yeah. these are like a little bit more niche. Yeah. Um, and also somewhat more universal too, right. Our like recovering people pleaser. And of course, I mean, no, no other podcasts are they giving out sparkle shine and all the twinkles. That's, mm-hmm. that's very AWP specific. Mm-hmm. So hop on over there, grab some swag, get yourself or the warriors in your life something fun. Yes. Something inspiring, something cozy to wear, um, or a nice journal to write in, a tote bag. I mean, there's just endless amounts of cool stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, warriors. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Yes. Thank you all so much for uh, going on this journey with us. We're very grateful y'all are here. Till next time.